World, what's up? It's time for another episode of Vegan Radio. Vegan Radio. Vegan Radio. Vegan Radio. Vegan Radio. Today's show, we have Hannah Kaminsky, author of My Sweet Vegan. And we have Farm Sanctuary calling in to talk about cloned meat entering our food system. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, we are here. We're all here. It's not just Derek. What's up? And we also have stories about a 247-pound vegan football player for the NFL and a New York Times story on rethinking the meat guzzler. That's like gas guzzler, but it's meat guzzler. That's right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Scotty. What? Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Happy, a, hey, it's Valentine's Day, man. Happy Valentine's it's Day. Valentine's man. Day. Or as uh, my friend Susan likes to call it, uh, Single Awareness Day. V-Day. <laughs> wow. Vegan Day. How do you like that one? Singular Awareness Day? Si- single single, single awareness. awareness Day. Oh, I see. As a single person. A single person. Yes. It's important. Really, to... really drives that wrench into your heart about how you don't have a partner. I think it's also oh, International on. Breakup Day. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's probably one of the more popular days for breaking up. Really? With your loved one. <laughs> no. Really? Yeah, sure, why not? Because because people don't come through like you want them to. <laughs> <laughs> Do they ever, Megan? Do they not ever? really. <laughs> we just can't rely on people. That's why we are uh, we have a vegan radio show because we are we know that animals can do better than we did. <laughs> what? Are you talking about evolution again? What are you talking Obliquely. about? What are you talking about over there, kid? You know farm animals are better lovers. <laughs> Hmm. Wow. That may be true. Well, of each other. Of each other. Certainly better. Yes. So uh, before we start the show, yeah. we should do uh, shout outs to our Valentines. Yeah. Since we all have Valentines now. This is a rare thing. We're all like in the cusp of early love. I think it's the success love. of vegan radio that has uh, <laughs> brought love into our lives. Yeah. It's because kismet, guys. Before this, we were just nobodies. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? And now vegan radio has brought us great fame and grandiosity. Yeah, yeah. well, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's grandiose. I'm certainly famous <laughs> in my own mind now. Check your levels. Check your levels, Megan. <laughs> um, I'd like to shout out to uh, Hoopmaster Sass. The sassiest of the sassiest. Sass of my life. Uh, anyone special in your life, Scott? <laughs> 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 well, I wish I'd given this more thought. If I'd known I was going to be shouting out, I guess I should have known. Well, you can just like uh, <laughs> talk out. So I got a, I got a few shout outs then. Um, let's start with, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my long harem. My Scott's long line of women. One in every continent. Uh, do He's, I? It's Claire. Yeah. It's Claire this year. <laughs> and, every, this year. and every year thereafter. And next year, who knows what will go next? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know, guys. I'm pretty sure about this one. After you, after you import her. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get her over here. That's right. Well, I guess I'll give a shout out to a couple of people. Mr. Moo, otherwise mm. known as Mr. Triangle, Moo Moo the bear, <laughs> my cat. Give a shout out to Christopher Ritter. So, what sweet mama's got going on for Hel- Valentine? Hella, hella Valentine, hella. <laughs> <laughs> whatever this holiday is. It's Valentine's Day. That's what, it is. what do I got going on? There'll be some cheesecake. There'll be some chocolate cake, and then a whole bunch of 
the regulars like cupcakes, raspberry bars, cookies, but those are some specialties. Cheesecake and and the actual cakes in the case. I made vegan scones this morning. Did you? Or uh, <laughs> Valentine scones this morning? Oh, did you? Cherry and chocolate chip. Oh, really? Yeah. Very nice. Did you did you write up a little card for him? Yep, I, I made a, a heart for the Owen scones. Nice. Very nice. Nice. Very nice. We did an interview on Saturday with a cookbook author, Hannah Kaminsky, who has a cookbook called My Sweet Vegan. And she is just a youngin. She's 19 years old. 19 years old. One nine. And I can stretch (laughs) and kick. Maybe we should just play that interview with her. Let's play that. What do you guys think? I concur. Concur? (laughs) All right. So this is Hannah Kaminsky. She's currently going to UMass. And she is a young vegan from Connecticut. Already has her first cookbook out. She already knows... She's got her second one in the works. 14 languages or something? No. She knows 14 languages? No, I think just Japanese. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Japanese is like learning 14 languages. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Really? Oh, sure. Yeah, Derek says it all the time. Oh, sure. <laughs> this is Hannah Kaminsky, author of My Sweet Vegan. You're listening to Vegan Radio on the Pacifica Radio Network and podcasting at veganradio.com. Remember, eat dessert first. Go vegan and eat dessert. We're here with Hannah Kaminsky, author of the cookbook My Sweet Vegan, passionate about the dessert. How are you doing, Hannah? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I asked a question, so no. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> How old were you when you wrote this cookbook? 18. I'm only 19 now. You're very ambitious. How long were you experimenting with recipes? Uh, not very long. I mean, a year, year and a half. It really just started with my blog, and the blog started as a craft blog, so it just all evolved together. What's the name of the blog? Bittersweet. Bittersweet? No yeah. vegan in it? No, it's bittersweetblog.wordpress.com. And were you uh, vegan when you started it? Yeah, I've been vegan for five years now. Wow. What made you decide to go vegan? Well, I started as a vegetarian just because it was kind of like the trendy thing, but then I actually did research about it and found out the truth of the practices of farming, etc., of eggs. I had no idea, and I just went vegan. What did your parents think about that? They were very supportive through the whole thing. I was really, really glad because I just, I was really unsure of what I was doing when I was coming into it. My mom did cook a lot, and I took a lot away from that, and just basic preparation, basic baking I got from her. And as long as I was nutritionally healthy, she was fine with whatever dietary choices I made. That's nice. I have to say, that's very unusual. It is. (laughs) Because, I mean, even when I just started being mostly vegetarian and eating, still eating fish, and I was living at home, my parents were very worried, did not understand. So to have supportive parents is awesome. Have you uh, got your parents to go vegan yet? Not yet, but they eat all of my vegan desserts without any complaint. <laughs> so one part of their meal is vegan. Yeah, at least. Can you tell us about your cookbook? What are your um, favorite recipes in there? Um, I really love all the recipes, obviously. I wouldn't bake anything I don't want to eat. But my favorite of all is probably the matcha tiramisu, the green tea tiramisu. I love green tea. Did you use other non-vegan recipes as a base and then take a recipe that you like and then veganize it? Or did you just start coming up like 
with your own ratios and proportions and go from there? I didn't veganize any recipes just straight away. I would find something I was interested in and look up non-vegan recipes, see how they did it, compile all of those, figure out their ratios, and figure out how that would translate best into vegan ingredients. But most of the time, they were just original things. Because after a while, you know how to make a cupcake. You can make a cupcake with your eyes closed, and you just change the flavors. I think what is amazing to me is your age, and the fact that you're just 19, you already have this cookbook. Would you say that this is the norm for you, that you're just very independent, motivated person, and you find a project, and then you run with it or is this kind of like the exception for you I guess that's just the way I am when I'm passionate about something I'm obsessed I mean when I started knitting I knit straight through 20 skeins like the first week I mean 20 what skeins balls of yarn (laughs) for those who don't know but I just when I like something I know I like it and I go for it and you also do all the photography for your cookbook that's pretty impressive Did you take any classes, or did you learn that on your own? Well, I did take classes, but by the time I was taking classes, I was already photographing this book. So I basically just handed in photographs from the book as my assignments. That's nice. Works out. I didn't really have to do any work for the class. (laughs) Clearly, this is something you're passionate about and just find joy in doing. But is it also, does it feel like a statement to you of, like, trying to convince others about veganism? Is this like a step that you took in that direction? Or is it more just like, no, I just love vegan baking and and that's it? It's definitely both. Because I did this because I like sweets, I like baking. They're all things I enjoy doing. But also, I'm glad that I can share something with everyone. That everyone can eat dessert and enjoy it. And it's just as good as any other dessert that you might not be able to eat. How about that fuffernoose? Fuffernoose. <laughs> <laughs> what is that, Pfeffernoose? It's like a German ginger snap. It relies more on anise. Oh, yeah, I think I've had this. <laughs> Tell us about your party mix bars. Um, it was basically a way to use up a lot of leftovers. It <laughs> <laughs> looks very interesting. Did you, um, do you have a favorite vegan baking book or cookbook that like sometimes you'll you would reference when you were working with recipes or no i don't have a lot of money to spend on cookbooks but when i was first starting i definitely got a lot of inspiration from isa chandra moskowitz all of her cookbooks yeah drina burton also very Mm -hmm. cool tell us about um maybe any vegan converts you've had or people fans yeah fans that have been convinced um that have been come over to the other side to veganism maybe because of your desserts and your experimentation well i don't know if i've converted anyone but i served my my tester recipes to all omnivores from my mom's school and everyone so i hear has just been amazed and impressed that it's vegan and they're finally getting the fact that everything is vegan but the first Everyone's asking, is this vegan? Is this vegan? Mm-hmm. Because they couldn't believe it, which is very cool. Yeah. Do you ever cook anything that's not a dessert? I do, believe it or not. <laughs> it's just not often. <laughs> <laughs> so where do, you, where do you get your uh, protein? <laughs> where do you get yours? <laughs> yeah, I told hey. you I was asking Hey, questions. we're asking the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any uh, suggestions for Oh Sweet Mama, how she could improve her... <laughs> Well, from what I've seen, it looks awesome, so no suggestions from me. I have nowhere, no experience compared to this. We've heard you have a sequel coming up for this book. What's that going to be? Yeah, it's 
still in the works. It might change, but right now we're looking for a more seasonal theme. It will it be all desserts again? Yes, yes it will. I have a huge sweet tooth. And I just keep thinking of desserts. I don't know. There might be a my savory vegan, but not for a while. Sweet dream, baby. Sweet dream, baby. How long must I dream? Go vegan and eat dessert. After the show, I found out about this Wall Street Journal story about vegan athlete, uh, the 247-pound vegan NFL star Tony Gonzalez is out to answer a question. Can a football player live entirely on plants? What do you think, Megan? I think it's going to be a yay. Yay? Yeah. <laughs> Are you a yay, Scott? Yeah, I think uh, when I see him running down the field, I'm going to say yay. <laughs> He's a sexy man. I, I know. Say. I'm saying yay right now looking at his picture. <laughs> uh, Kansas City Chiefs tight end, Tony Gonzalez. <laughs> see, it's already sounding good. The <laughs> <laughs> NFL has all these. I know. Things. It's... It's there's really some, there's, there's some definite. There should uh, be some major analyzation going on in in the I think football there world. Is, yeah, <laughs> it's got a certain Spartan background All to it. Butt slapping, tight ends. Anyway, on the eve of the biggest season of his career, Mr. Gonzalez embarked on a diet solution that smacked head on with gridiron gospel, as old as the leather helmet. Did you know they used to make helmets <laughs> out of leather? Make leather helmets. <laughs> that's right. My dad actually, I had one when I was a kid because it was my dad's when he was in college. That's cool. Yeah. Did he, Except well, that it's animal of. skin. Did he will it to you? Someday this will be yours, son. <laughs> Someday you will follow my legacy. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> for Mr. Gonzalez, the stakes were high for going vegan. He just signed a five-year contract, making him the game's highest-paid tight end. Mm. Entering the 2007 season, his 11th in the NFL, he had a shot at breaking the all-time NFL records for career receptions and touchdowns at his position. To do that, he needed top performance in every game. Mr. Gonzalez knew he was out on a limb. I was like, I'm going to look like a fool if this doesn't work out. That's what he said. He <laughs> said like? He said like right in the article. Really? I was like, comma, I'm going to look like a fool if this doesn't work out. Wow. Experts say athletes in training need as much as twice the protein of an average person to rebuild muscle. Their bodies also require a big dose of minerals and vitamins, as well as amino acids. Mr. Gonzalez had never heard of the vegan diet when he boarded a flight from New York to Los Angeles last spring, about a month before preseason training. His seatmate turned down most of the food offered in first class, and Mr. Gonzalez finally asked why. The man told Mr. Gonzalez about the China study, 2000 book by Cornell professional and nutrition researcher T. Colin Campbell that claims people who eat mostly plants have fewer deadly diseases than those who eat mostly animals. The evidence was drawn from diet surveys and blood samples of 6,500 men and women from across China. Mr. Gonzalez was intrigued. Earlier that year, about with Bell's palsy, a temporary facial paralysis had focused his attention on health. He bought the book, and after reading the first 40 pages, he says, he was convinced animal foods led to chronic illness. He was an unlikely convert. Mr. Gonzalez, who grew up in Southern California, says cheeseburgers were his favorite food. But he quit them, substituting fruits, nuts, and vegetables. At restaurants, he ordered pasta with tomato sauce. Any comments from the peanut gallery? <laughs> uh, I like pasta with tomato sauce, too. <laughs> oh. 
It's great. <laughs> As the season progressed, the team lost more games than it won. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, does it say, yeah, I was going to say, does it say anything about um, how how he's felt or? Yep. Mr. Gonzalez managed to stick to his diet and hold on to the football. He broke that touchdown record before midseason and was within reach of the career reception record. He said, like again. I was like, okay, this is working, he says. I have so much more energy when I'm out there. His wife, October Gonzalez, was astonished her husband could play the season without ordering a single cheeseburger. I thought he'd cave, she says. Mr. Gonzalez entered the final game against New York Jets, needing four catches to suppress a record held by former tight end Shannon Sharpie. The contest turned into a sluggish defensive struggle with the Chiefs trailing the Jets 7-3. Still, Mr. Gonzalez made three receptions. With two minutes and 29 <laughs> seconds left in the third quarter, Chiefs quarterback Brody Croyle was fleeing defenders when he threw a nine-yard pass to Mr. Gonzalez, who scampered for a first down in a spot in the NFL record book. Clearly, you missed your calling in life. He can you, scamper with the best you, of them. Man. Record should. for most <laughs> touchdown receptions by a tight end. You should Maybe you should be a, a sports broadcaster. Maybe I should be a tight end. <laughs> <laughs> you could be both. Yeah. You're going to need a little work. <laughs> so this this is really cool, though. That was the Wall Street Journal. Um, and it also has little cameos of two other uh, athletes, Mac Danzig, the ultimate fighter that we talked about last week, and an NBA player named Salem Studemeyer, uh-huh. Atlanta Hawks. Today both. on a very special 247 Thanks to vegan. vegan Radio, veganism is finally infiltrating professional sports. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Hoorah! <laughs> That's great. Good news. Well, it's great for all the people who just cannot believe that you can be a professional athlete and that you can get enough protein and enough... Enough what else? What um, else do they think? Calcium, is, iron. Calcium, iron. Right. Well, you know, the thing is you're taking uh, energy out of the ground, boom, plant, you know, your perfect source right there. Then you're putting it through an animal, and the animal is attacked by all kinds of invasive, opportunistic bacteria and things Parasites. that are already in its gut. Parasites. It's like a vector for all <laughs> kinds of, you know, other life forms that are interested in it. And uh, then, you know, they try to put it out on the shelf and make it look all pretty with lights. And then we're interested <laughs> in it, and they put sugar in it, and we eat it. And that just doesn't, somehow it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. The pi- something in there. It's one of, there's a disconnect at one point in that chain. A few disconnects. I, <laughs> I think I just got disconnected. <laughs> I uh, think you just got disconnected right now. <laughs> the disconnected omnivore. Well, I, I'm sort of bringing that up as a preface to this other story, which is the fast food story that uh, there's a Swedish study just out. It's all over the news, ABC. Swedish? Swedish. Is that a Valentine's Day reference? Um, hmm. I don't know. I know I'm going to... I know Swedish massage is very popular for... Valentine's Day. Really? I'll take a Swedish massage. Oh, yes. It's the <laughs> most popular massage for Valentine's Day. Um, but this story, uh, ABC News is reporting, uh, the headline is, The Fast Track to Organ Damage. Swedish study finds that the fast food uh, can stress the liver. Yep. Just like Morgan Spurlock discovered. There you have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not very catchy. But fast food restaurants may as well update their greetings considering the negative effects their food can have on our health, our hearts, and now our livers. In a new study, 18 slim, healthy Swedish men and women took on a fast food diet, eating meals from popular chains twice a day for four weeks while refraining from exercise, as the typical person does. Ah. At the end of the experiment, blood tests showed evidence that the subjects eating fast food had liver damage. They also had gained an average of 16 pounds. 
Wow. The subjects were eating, quote, an outrageously high amount of calories, said Keith Thomas Ayub, associate professor of pediatrics at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York. Ayub said the calorie intake was almost double the average daily caloric intake of most Americans, which is about 2,700 calories. Um, Studies have shown that a diet high in fat and calories, the magic recipe for delicious, greasy fast food, puts people at greater risk for obesity and type 2 diabetes, both of which can lead to cardiovascular diseases and heart failure. But the Swedish study, the goal of which was to double calorie intake and increase body weight by about 15%, showed that the liver is also at risk when you roll up to the drive through window. Just by going up to the drive through window? Yeah, you probably inhale <laughs> a bit of fat. Just the fumes. Um, when you get there. It's just the karma of driving through that nasty parking lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is nasty and colorful, though. Uh, the extra fat is the big enchilada here, the equivalent of about three sticks of butter daily, Ayub <laughs> said. And I tell you, when I eat butter, it goes right to my thighs. What's baby? that thing about hot dogs where, uh, like, Howard Lyman or someone talks about hot dogs and it's just like 90% lard or something? I don't know. You guys I, are yeah. not not making me feel well. It's sort of a gelatinous. Um, I'm starting to feel a little unwell. Don't you have any stories about chocolate, Scott? Oh, I'm working on that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to have some of those. And where's your red? I've noticed you're not wearing any red for oh, Valentine's Scott. Day. Oh, man. What you got came over red, you? Red underwear on? I, you know, I, I just kind of like rolled out of bed with these on, with these clothes on. And <laughs> that's how I got it. Well, we better not tell our listeners. I'm going to I'm gonna email Claire. I'm gonna show, <laughs> <laughs> tell her you are not in this spirit. <laughs> All right. That's that's appropriate. I got I to gotta really work on that. I have, to, I have to admit, I'm not. I've, I'm a. Cl- I'm totally romantic when it comes to like certain things, but really. But it, when I when it's tell like when I'm called that. on to be. Uh, yeah, tell us more. Yeah, it's, I, don't know, I haven't just, seen this romantic I, side. <laughs> what? Oh, come on, man! I, <laughs> I take you out and show you a good time all the time. Oh, you have taken me to a couple action movies. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. I don't have a golden chariot. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you know, I I. Maybe that's I not as important. Do, to I can women do nice, England, though, appropriate, you know. you know, cool things for days like today. <laughs> <laughs> when called upon to do so, help me, somebody. <laughs> Callers, so. uh, Claire, call in quick. Uh, Save them. Right. Save them. Well, let's get to uh, Megan's story over here. Okay, so the next story: rethinking the meat guzzler, which s- was in the New York Times. In the New York Times, January twenty seventh. Vegan hit in the mainstream thanks to Vegan Radio. <laughs> A sea change in the consumption of a resource that Americans take for granted may be in store. Something cheap, plentiful, widely enjoyed, and part of daily life, and it isn't oil. It's meat. The two commodities share a great deal. Like oil, meat is subsidized by the federal government. Like oil, meat is subject to accelerating demand as nations become wealthier, and this in turn sends prices higher. Finally, like oil, meat is something people are encouraged to consume less of as the toll exacted by industrial production increases and becomes increasingly visible. Global demand for meat has multiplied in recent years, encouraged by growing affluence and nourished by the proliferation of huge confined animal feeding operations. These assembly line meat factories consume enormous amounts of energy. They pollute water supplies, they generate significant greenhouse gases, and require ever-increasing amounts of corn, soy, and other grains, a dependency that has led to the destruction of vast swaths of the world's tropical rainforests. This is, you know, New York Times. They're really... They they're, got some writers. You don't they, like they, swaths? It's just that it's just normally 
uh, newspaper stories are are written at like a sixth grade level, so that oh, really? so that they're accessible to everyone. And this this <laughs> this person. Um, Mark Bittman is really going out on a limb here. Um, <laughs> it's a sea change in the writing <laughs> profession. It's a sea change in the writing profession. Growing meat, it's hard to use the word raising when applied to animals in factory farms, uses so many resources that it's a challenge to enumerate them all. But consider, an estimated 30% of the Earth's ice-free land is directly or indirectly involved in livestock production, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization which also estimates that livestock production generates nearly a fifth of the world's greenhouse gases, more than transportation. That's true. Americans are downing close to 200 pounds of meat, poultry, and fish per capita per year. Dairy and eggs are separate and hardly insignificant, an increase of 50 pounds per person from 50 years ago. We each consume something like 110 grams of protein a day, about twice the federal government's recommended allowance, of that, about 75 grams come from animal protein. The recommended level is itself considered by many dietary experts to be higher than it needs to be. It's likely that most of us would do just fine on around 30 grams of protein a day, virtually all of it from plant sources. Where do you get your protein? <laughs> Where do I get my protein? From uh, chocolate. <laughs> 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 Um, perhaps the best hope for change lies in consumers becoming aware of the true costs of industrial meat production. Quote, when you look at environmental problems in the U.S., says Professor Eschel, nearly all of them have their source in food production, and in particular, meat production. And factory farming is optimal, only as long as degrading waterways is free. If dumping this stuff becomes costly, even if it simply carries a non-zero price tag, the entire structure of food production will change dramatically. End quote. Real prices of beef, pork, and poultry have held steady, perhaps even decreased for 40 years or more, in part because of grain subsidies, though we're beginning to see them increase now. If price spikes don't change eating habits, perhaps a combination of deforestation, pollution, climate change, starvation, heart disease, and animal cruelty will gradually encourage the simple daily act of eating more plants and fewer animals. Mr. Rosegrant of the Food Policy Research Institute says he foresees a stronger public relations campaign and the reduction of meat consumption, one like that around cigarettes, emphasizing personal health, compassion for animals, and doing good for the poor and the planet. It wouldn't surprise Professor Eschel if all of this had a real impact. The good of people's bodies and the good of the planet are more or less perfectly aligned, he said. That's good. That's right. He's uh, Mark Britman writes the minimalist column in the dining in and dining out sections, and he's the author of How to Cook Everything Vegetarian, which was published last year. He is not a vegetarian. Can you believe it? What? Hey, Sacrilege! Shock! Sacrilege! Well, neither the UN isn't vegetarian either, and they keep saying the same kinds of That's things. That's true. Walking out on Farting Street, the hollow people know the secret bargain that the city seeks to make. The city's hunger is a ghost that's growing stronger with every stolen mouthful that it takes. Manhattan is an island, a private is a pirate, the sunken treasure of a rich and stinking ship. I ride the tunnels with the rest, you know I try my best To fight the panic as the stitches start to rip And the rats are running in the subway The fat kids
Cats are choking in the cream The rushes are creeping in the plumbing And the dinosaurs are drinking gasoline Archaeologists will dive off the New Jersey coast and say here lies Atlantis in a dream. They'll fill their boots with artifacts with post-millennium bric-a-brac from Times Square. Tourist traps amid the darkened screens. The swamps remember every pool of stagnant water. These granite bones remember dynamite. That demon's under old Manhattan pent up in the subway are screaming for another sacrifice. The fat cats are choking on the cream The roaches are creeping in the plumbing And the dinosaurs are drinking Yes, the dinosaurs are drinking gasoline of all is to ignore the next you step on as you clamber up the stairs and as the waters rise to have dry feet and sympathize with all the drowning people who were there uh, the theater of america is looking for a superstar to sell the headline news on cnn they're waiting for the season of the hurricane disease as all the madness of the summer starts again and the rest around and in the subway That was our featured vegan musician, Ben Godwin, with his song Drinking Gasoline. You can find out more about Ben at our show notes, veganradio.com. And just a reminder, you're listening to Vegan Radio on Pacifica Radio Network, produced at WXOJLP Northampton in Massachusetts, and available for download at veganradio.com. Up next, we have Julie Janofsky, Farm Sanctuary's campaign director, talking about FDA's decision to let cloned meat be sold to the public. What's your full name, Julie? Julie Janowski. Julie Janowski. And you're the campaign director at Farm Sanctuary? No? I am. I am. Excellent. So when did this uh, happen that the FDA approved cloned animals in our food supply? The FDA approved, um, (laughs) called it safe, um, mid-January to allow cloned animal products into our food supply. And what do you think about this? It's so ethically challenged, uh, not to mention morally challenged. Um, They really... They didn't examine a whole lot of information in the study when it came to animal welfare issues, nor did they really look at the long-term effects for what's going to happen to people who um, don't go vegan and who decide to consume cloned animal products. Yeah, it seems strange to me that the FDA has jurisdiction over this. It seems to me like it should involve things like the CDC, you know, and uh, that would be the Centers for Disease Control, um, and other institutions that would be concerned with the, the implications of manipulating genetics and what that can mean to, say, you know, the immune systems of cloned animals and the kinds of diseases they might get and pass on. It is kind of strange. Um, the USDA was right there with them, though, 
And, um, you know, they asked for there to continue a voluntary moratorium on the actual sale of cloned animals or cloned milk, milk from cloned animals. But they, they're fine with the progeny animals being used for and used in the food supply. I see. And I guess the perception generally being once the steak is cooked, it doesn't really have a, a life personality or any kind of background. It's just material. I, I think that's definitely where they're headed with it. And yeah. just to comment a little bit more on the FDA being involved, you look at who's supporting this, the biotech companies, and you can you can really see this is just, you know, another huge big corporate giant biotech that is going to have their hands in the coffers of America's agriculture. So it's 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 pretty amazing that it's not bad enough that we already have the big livestock and the big factory farmers that are doing this kind of thing that are interested in um, moving legislation forward to protect themselves and to advance and enlarge in their, their factory farms. But now you have drug companies who are even going to be more invested in this. What's this world coming to, Julie? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. But, we, you know, we have opportunity to try to, to try to stop some of this. I mean, there's, you know, we've seen comments from around the world of different ethics groups saying, where, what road are we going down here? This is, you know, what's next? We're going to start cloning people next. What's, where do we stop this? Um, and luckily there are a few members of Congress that are willing to, to stick their necks out and they see the right thing and they do want to try to put a hold on this and try to stop it. What is Farm Sanctuary doing? Lobbying? Yes, definitely. Um, without a doubt. There are, we're supporting legislation that would actually, there's about 10 states around the country right now that have introduced bills to mandate the cloned products be labeled. And while we would much, much rather see there be a stop to the cloned animal industry, given all of the problems that it causes in animals, it's a step in the right direction. Um, at least they're recognizing that consumers don't want this, and they want to know where their food's coming from. And there's also some federal legislation that um, was introduced by Senator Mikulski, and she's now circulating this bill on, on labeling and on further studies. And she's looking for different members of Congress to co-sponsor it. Pretty intense. <laughs> it really is, especially when you look at you know the the immense animal suffering that goes into cloning. Really, the FDA the only thing they studied with regard to animal welfare was how if if the same problems occurred in cloned animals as happen in natural animals, but they didn't enumerate how much more it happens in cloned animals. They just kind of took a note and checked off that the same problems occur, not that it's 20 times as often or 30 or 40 or 50 times as often. Right. That's, uh, yeah, they're always manipulating the numbers. And now, now of course, the thing that really kind of, this always seems to happen, is uh, they'll raise the bar to some new level of, uh, you know, what they're going to do. And now we have to fight over this and, and, uh, and get information out about this particular issue when, you know, I think really I'd like to be focusing my attention more on the fact that animals are being exploited at all get back to you know basics here you know this is a you know it's an ethical issue not just on the basis of the fact that they're using some untested technology but uh, that they're using that it's it's even being considered at all yeah uh, I, I i couldn't agree with you more it's um and i think it we can't underestimate how much the big technology company companies their involvement in this i mean they're just giving animal agriculture more money and making them more powerful. And we have a hard enough time going in and lobbying, talking about how bad so much of animal agriculture is, but now we have to deal with the biotech companies too. It's, they, they, they do see us, though, I think, as a challenge, and that's why they're trying to bring in more groups 
and they're trying to animal agriculture is really trying to build themselves up even more. Yeah. Uh, what is the strategy going in to try and um, turn this around? I think it, you know, a big part of it is taking it to the legislators. Um, and luckily, there's been a surge around the country in people going to local markets, whether they're buying animal products or not. I think few and few people, few and few people are because they're getting more afraid of what's in them. Uh, and luckily, you know, Congress and different state legislators, they are in grocery stores across the country. They're starting to examine where people's food comes from, and people are asking for that. So I, I think it's one of the big strategies is getting the word out and telling people, you know, look what they're doing now. Now it's not bad enough that they're going to abuse animals in factory farms. Now these animals who are going to be, they're almost going to be second-tier animals in factory farms. They're going to be treated even worse. So really, the first and foremost, the strategy is to let people know what's going on and how these big agencies and big organizations are um, joining together. And we just have to we have to raise our voice and get out there and, and be really active. And you know, also to we need we need to get together with other groups and other organizations, not just the animal people. We really need to form coalitions. Yeah. So there's some of your organizations you might have in mind. Um, I think that, you know, we worked a lot, not to mention another animal group right off the bat, <laughs> but we did work with um, AAVS, um, American Anti-Vivisection Association. Mm-hmm. But there are so many other consumer groups that are interested in this. There are food safety groups. There are even the small little groups of, you know, moms who are worried about what their kids are getting to eat. It's We need to hit it at every level, from the big consumer groups all the way down to, you know, moms who just need a little bit more information. Yeah, the fact that we can't even get decent labeling laws passed shows how little inroads we have at this point. Yeah, I have to agree. It is nice to see, though, that there is a trend in the states that people are actually inter- introducing the labeling. You don't usually see 10 bills on the same subject introduced all at once in the same year. So somebody's noticing it, and you know, more and more people are, are hearing what's going on, and legislators included, and trying to do something about it. And the organic standards that are now agreed upon, is there anything about cloned meat? There must be, or there's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I did see some, um, some legislation that where they were talking about how this could in no way, shape, or form could, could meat or milk or any of the animal products from cloned species be considered organic. And I, I think we're definitely working towards that. But you also have to wonder what's in, under the organic label, too. What does it really mean for the welfare of the animals? It just doesn't mean that there's oh, no yeah. pesticides or no antibiotics. But I was just thinking about uh, groups that might, if we could get farmers and, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we've, we've heard from local dairy farmers. Um, I shouldn't say local, the smaller dairy farmers, not the huge dairy industry. And they, their stand on cloning has, has been very, very negative. They really believe this is a technology that's going to help the huge mega farms and it's not going to do anything for them. You know, you're in an interesting place when you even have some of the animal industry <laughs> on your side. Oh, yeah, sure. They, for a long time, they really have disliked uh, all the antibiotic uh, escalation that's been going on as well and, this, and the steroid use and stuff. No one can compete with all that as as um, high tech gets into it. There's just no way that your average farmer can compete with uh, the kinds of like low prices and things that they can offer. So local farmers are definitely a good place to to go. Well, a few years back, it seems like we we're all fighting against the RBGH uh, bovine growth hormone, trying to get you know labeling so that consumers would know when that was in their dairy products, and that campaign didn't seem to work very well do you have do you think this one will fare better you know i 
I hope that this will because it's getting huge national attention with several bills in Congress. But on the RBGH issue and the dairy hormones, you know, we've seen so many states recently where large agribusiness has gone in and they're trying to, now they're trying to actually ban farmers from saying that their milk doesn't have that hormone in it. <laughs> and, I mean, now we're, we're looking at a huge problem here. It's, it's industry just outright saying we don't want the public to know. So I, I almost think that their efforts on RBGH, along with the lack of labeling on cloning, it, it, I feel like it's got to get to a, a, a critical tipping point where it's, it's going to flip. I'd hope so. Seriously, I'm going to revoke their public charter. <laughs> <laughs> Without uh, Dennis Kucinich in the race anymore, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> Please, man, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> I'm so sad about that. Are you? I am, and angry. He was barred angry. from the debates. Yeah, he was. Barred. Uh, we had we had one of our listeners. Um, this isn't kind of a little off topic, but wrote an email that Barack Obama has uh, ties to the NRA on his website or promoting. What? Yeah, he says that um, he thinks these uh, hunters are a key to preserving the environment. Oh no! Oh my God! Well, maybe he knows something we don't. Yeah. I think he doesn't know what we know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to get together. Well, he probably knows that going against the NRA would be tough for him as a potential presidential candidate. But I suppose so. If we could, if we could get our, you know, the animal <coughs> rights groups uh, to be as organized as the NRA, I think we could. We need to develop more. Um, I don't know, fear and aggression, well, so that we'll more co- cohere more. More cohesion amongst you know. Our uh, groups. Yeah. Animal, Definitely. Animal groups. It, w- it would be really <laughs> helpful if, you know, more groups got together and getting just any of any of the groups getting politically active. Mm-hmm. I think so many people that are animal advocates, they, they, they don't want to speak out. They don't want to get involved because um, they don't feel like it's going to have any impact. And, you know, I, I, I got to say that if more people got involved, it, legislators, they, they do listen. Yeah. They hear what we're saying, and it's, it's just a matter of us showing up and bringing it up at town hall meetings and bringing up our issues in letters and emails and talking to staffers. and It's a lot of work in the grand scheme, but um, a little work by every individual person could make a huge difference for farm animals. One of the things, if I can mention it real quick, um, Farm Sanctuary is launching an advocacy campaign team with the acronym ACT, and that's going to be this, we're launching it this week, and it's basically an activist network, but it's going to be providing so many more tools for any animal advocates who want to get busy and start working on animal protection issues. Everything from tabling to how to talk to your neighbor to lobbying, the whole range of issues. So we'd love for as many people as possible to really sign up on that and find out how they can get involved with not doing a whole lot of work. Excellent. Where's that at? You can find it on farmsanctuary.org, and it'll be under our advocacy section, which says Get Involved. Okay. Is Farm Sanctuary doing anything to team up with other groups to get a lot of animal rights and welfare groups under one umbrella to be more effective? We definitely are interested in the coalition building to be more effective. You re- you, we just have to be. Um, so we, we do a lot of work with various groups, whether they be, you know, some of them are more to the right of us, some of us are more, some of them are more to the left of us. <laughs> but um, it's, it's always better when we go in and we, when we do lobbying that we're, we're able to say, look, we're here from these groups, and our organizations all represent 
a combined X number of people. It's really more powerful when we do that. And, you know, looking at the resources from all the different groups that we can work with, uh, it, it says a lot to legislators, especially in an election year. <laughs> yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about the cloned animals in the food supply issue? Um, just on the clone stuff, I would say, you know, for anybody out there who's, who's concerned about this, you know, make sure you contact your, your federal senator and ask them to co-sponsor Senate Bill 414 to really support that legislation to um, try to put a dent in what technology is trying to take away from the animals. All right, and we'll post that in our show notes for people to find that easily um, at veganradio.com. Julie, I also uh, have heard that Gene Bauer, the founder of Farm Sanctuary, his um, long-awaited book is about to come out, which is called Farm Sanctuary, I believe. Yes, yes. Do you want to... It's, um, it's, and I, I have had a chance to do a sneak peek of it. Uh, it's a fantastic book, and it's, it's called Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food. It's really, really good. It gives a great um, summary of how Gene started Farm Sanctuary and everyone they've had to battle with. For, and it's, it, it talks about the different animals that have been rescued and how they've changed so much once they've gotten to the farm. Uh, it talks about the farmers that he's talked to and the different issues that he's he's battled with um, to try to help farm animals. It's a, it's a great, it's such a good read. I really enjoyed it. And I think, I think anybody who's interested in animal issues will. It's, it's a good book that gives a great overview of so many different issues without being so technical that you just want to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Is it, is it mostly the history of, of his life in farm sanctuary or him starting farm sanctuary? Or is there also included kind of, when you're saying he's talking to like local farmers, is it techniques that might help um, other individuals, um, you know, kind of get people to hear about animal uh, cruelty? There's not really any how-tos in it, but I think when you read it, you can see when you when you read about his conversations with farmers, it was really evident to me, and it really struck me. You know, okay, here's this guy who walked onto this this auction house floor and just struck up a conversation with one of these farmers. And it, it kind of showed how sometimes our efforts, if we if we walk in with a, as a friendly face, we can find out a lot more information than when we go at them. Especially if you're really handsome. <laughs> hey. That's true, too. What are you, a sexist? <laughs> what? Gene Bauer is very handsome. <laughs> I can't take that away He's from him. He's got his own website now, it looks like. Oh, I wish I, had the, wish I had that bumper right about now. <laughs> <laughs> Gene Bauer. Oh, I think we do have that bumper. Valentine's Day greeting. We could play that on the way That's out. That's a great idea. I should tell him that. This is Gene Bowston from Farm Sanctuary, and you're listening to Vegan Radio, where the animals are our friends, not our food. Go vegan. <laughs> oh, yeah. A little Barry White with Gene Bauer. <laughs> Go great together. <laughs> There's a book, book uh, launch parties on the East and West Coast. Do you want to promote those at all? Um, well, you can find out a little. You can find out exactly where they are and all the information. They start uh, in March on March fourth, and um, you can find out all the information about those if you go to www.genebauer.org. Bauer is spelled B-A-U-R. Right, not to be confused with Jack Bauer. And Gene is spelled G-E-N-E. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Well, excellent. Um, I'm really looking forward to that book, and uh, especially since some of my photographs are going to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew that shameless, was Shameless, shameless self-promotion. I'm shocked, Derek. For anyone who's going to the New York City launch party, I'll be there too. So. Fantastic. All right, Julie. Well, it was really great talking with you, um, and I hope this will help get some people active at getting this cloning thing stopped before it starts. I hope so, too. Thanks, guys, so much for, for talking about this. It is it is pretty important. So it's been good to talk to you guys. Great. Well, well have a great day. All right. Thank y'all, too. Have a good Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. We Bye. love you. <laughs> <laughs> Scott. What? I'm just in a loving mood today. I'm get in trouble. I just noticed uh, Scott posted a post on Veganica about his love in England. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just wanted to post oh, about my this. trip. What can I say? Vegan girlfriend for life. Wow. Hey. So uh, anyone Once you go vegan, you don't go back, man. Anyone who wants to see pictures of Scott in England can check out his uh, blog post on veganica.com. Did you know they just opened a vegan strip club in Portland, Oregon? Really? A vegan strip club? What's that? Um, well, apparently uh, this guy, Johnny Diablo from L.A. Johnny Diablo. Is it a male strip club? No. Well, <laughs> he's the owner. He's been an ethical vegan for like 23 years. Oh, wow. And uh, he had the place called the Pirate's Tavern. Um, yeah, and it didn't do so well, but he's uh, and and I remember now when with I f- vegan food, he's going to succeed. <laughs> That's right. Well, with when I first vegan women, when I first went around. to uh, Portland, they had like uh, I saw this place and I never was able to find it again. It's called a gentleman's juice club, but they have the you know the, <laughs> they have more <laughs> strip clubs per capita than any. That's other, where all the tight ends go. Any other city in the world, probably. Um, Carol Adams and I are not happy. <laughs> I know, Scott. What are you trying to? Are you trying to get Megan Rouse? You know, up you know how we have to talk about these issues of the connection of the degradation of animals and the degradation of females. You know, you want to get into it on Valentine's Day, do ya? Do ya? <laughs> well, up. I'm just saying, you know, up. there are guys who are going to go to these strip clubs anyway, you know, and some of them are very lonely today. Uh, and they're going to be going to those strip clubs, and some of them are going to walk, you know, see this big V, and they're going to be like, "Hey, I'm going to go there," and they won't know, you know, and then they're going to have some Mexican food and they won't so know that they're having a good vegan v food. Outside. Well, is the, is, is there, do you know if inside there's kind of extreme promotion of veganism or is it just like it's a vegan menu or do you know if there's going to be kind of like vegan propaganda around? It's a vegan Mexican style menu. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm American, <laughs> 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 whatever you'd call it. Amerimexican. Tex-Mex. So yeah, it's uh, but, um, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, Portland, Oregon is a is just a bastion of this sort of exploitation. But um, you know, they just seem to just kind of chill with it there. Well, I, I hope I hope that at the strip club, I hope they have some major major vegan uh, conversion information. That's right, and they people. don't bar feminists from entering. So if you want to go do in there and pass strippers? the flyers out, don't. No, yeah. they don't. <laughs> don't. Just don't. don't, Diablo. Don't. Are we having uh, our co-host Scott play a little outro music? Yeah. Wh- what'd you bring the guitar in here for, Scotty? Uh, I was, you know, I was worried we wouldn't have enough time or enough space I or enough have, things to fill our time and space. Minutes. We got a couple minutes for you. You got a song for your your love? In I'd England? like to hear you play. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a song. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Scott. Scott. <laughs> what? Scott tangled in microphone cords, Latine. 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 It's Latoon. Get it straight. That's his stage <laughs> name. Latine. <laughs> Derek makes fun of me because I changed the pronunciation of my name. You did? 
Yeah, I, I decided to adopt the French pronunciation of my name. Are you really going by Scott Latine? No. No, it's Latin. <laughs> oh, you're going by Latin. 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 Or Latin. I don't know. It's something Latin. like that. <laughs> we want to remind you all you're listening to Vegan Radio on the Pacifica Network, broadcasting from WXOJ LP Northampton 103.3 FM. And uh, thanks for listening. Scott the Ten. Spend my day just looking for something real. To get at my medicine, you know I would beg, borrow, or steal. You come to me smiling, and you know I just can't believe. Watch you turn into pretty little never was Disappear just like a candle flame in the noonday sun I'll bark for hours just like a lone abandoned dog Where else can I go? What else can I do at the end of the day? I come home to you. Boxes with bows are piled up all around my feet. People walk by me just like on some kind of Christmas tree. You come to me smiling, you know I just can't believe. I've got to get away, I've got to get away. Watch you turn. To pretty little never was Disappearing just like a candle flame in the noonday sun I'll bark for hours just like a lone abandoned dog I'll Where else can I go? What else can I do? the end of the day I come home to you author of My Sweet Vegan. You're listening to Vegan Radio on the Pacifica Radio Network and podcasting at veganradio.com. Remember, eat dessert first. Go vegan and eat dessert.